So tonight we want to talk about what the grace of God teaches us, or maybe another title would be evidences that God's grace is reigning in our life or even in our church's life. Now the reason why Paul is writing this at this particular time is let's remember in the first couple of chapters of Titus, he is telling Titus that when he plants these churches and when he establishes these churches and when he builds leadership in all of these churches on the Isle of Crete, he needs to make sure that they are teaching the Word of God and that they are not deviating from it and that they concentrate on building an environment in their local churches of grace because it is grace that promotes spirituality. It is grace that promotes growth. It is grace that promotes spiritual maturity. It is just the opposite from the false teachers that Paul has dealt with in the past and now deals with here again on the Isle of Crete because even to this day, Many people still think that the way to spiritualness is through rules and regulations and rituals. And by, by being a rule-oriented person, by being a ritual-oriented person, by being a person who lives their life with all of these regulations in place, I will become more spiritual. And you have obviously many different manifestations of that in even our modern sort of Christianity, if you will, or even in man-made religion today. That's what it's all about. But God teaches us here the importance, in fact, the essential nature of grace in our lives and in the life of our church. Think about what Paul said in 1 Corinthians 15.10. He said, by the grace of God, I am what I am. That's Saul who became Paul and became maybe the greatest Christian missionary who ever lived, wrote most of the New Testament. Paul says, you want to know why I am what I am, why I have become who I am? It's not because of rules and regulations and rituals. It's because of the grace of God operating in my life. And he goes on in 1 Corinthians 15, 10 to say, and God's grace was not given to me in vain, you see. All about God's grace. We sing about God's amazing grace, God's wonderful grace. The Bible teaches us that God's grace is sufficient. God tells us in His Word, let's come confidently to the throne of grace that we might find mercy and grace to help in our time of need. The Bible tells us that God gives more grace and that He resists the proud, but He will always give grace to the humble, you see. Well, when you come to chapter 2, verse 11 of the book of Titus, Paul is telling Titus, you need to establish the teaching of grace in all of these churches, and you need to establish an environment of grace in these churches. Why? Because God's grace is what really makes the difference in our lives. You know, I like alliteration. So I had to do a little stretching here tonight to get all these words to line up correctly. But I want to share with you five evidences of the grace of God reigning in our lives or in our churches, or again, what the grace of God teaches us. Tonight, from verse 11 through verse 15, we're going to see that grace transforms, grace trains, grace tarries, grace toils, and grace is teachable. But before we do that, let's go up to verse 11 for a moment. 
and see that Paul begins this passage by, in a sense, giving us the reason why he has called us all to live a life that is compelling, to live a life uh, as a Christian, as a follower of Jesus Christ, that is so attractive, so appealing, that we will literally draw people to God and to our faith. We see that at the end of verse 10 when he says, in order to bring credit to the teaching of God our Savior in everything. Another translation says to adorn the doctrine of God. Literally to wear the word of God in such a way that we will will compel others to, to our lifestyle, to our way of thinking, to our way of living. That the word credit speaks about what is appealing and attractive. And God wants to live in that way. Through our lives, we should always demonstrate and be an evidence to the power of God at work within us. And then Paul in verse 11 says, now I'm going to give you the reason why you and I should do that. For the grace of God has appeared. And who's he talking about there? He's talking about Jesus Christ. John 1, 14, the Gospel of John, chapter 1, 14. Now the Word became flesh and took up residence amongst us. And we beheld His glory, John said, the glory of the one and only, full of what? Grace and truth. Full of grace and truth. Jesus Christ was the embodiment, is the embodiment of grace. And again, grace isn't just defined as God's undeserved favor. It is defined as that supernatural enablement and an empowerment to be who God created us to be. Which is why Paul said, 1 Corinthians 15.10, it's by the grace of God I am what I am. It's not through my own human effort. It's not through all these rules and regulations and rituals. It is by me Allowing the grace of God to move and work in my life. Folks, when you are in an atmosphere of grace, sometimes you and I as Christians will say, God is moving, God is at work, right? And and you can sense it. it. It's almost palatable. And sometimes you might think, well, that's the Spirit of God moving. Yes, but that's also the grace of God working and moving too. And yes, in a sense, the Spirit is going to going to work where there is grace, as we just sang, and Paul says in Galatians, where the Spirit of the Lord is, there is liberty, not legalism. So in a church and in our lives, when we are legalistic, when we approach God by obeying laws, by setting up rules and regulations and rituals, we pull the plug on the Spirit of God, and we pull the plug on grace, and we do not develop an environment of grace to live by. But when we focus on... And, and people say, well, if you teach grace, then, man, you, people could just feel like they can do and live however they want to. You've you got to be strict. You've got to have law. you got to... No, you don't. Because when people say that, and even when Christians say that, they do not understand the grace of God. And Paul's going to teach us about that grace tonight. First of all, he says, grace transforms us. And when you and I know that God's grace is reigning in our life and reigning in our church, there will be transformation. There will be change taking 
place. When he says that great, the grace of God has appeared and it brings salvation to all people, he's not talking here about the initial uh, acceptance of Christ as our Savior. And he's certainly not talking about universal salvation, because that's what many, if you just look at this at the surface, you would go, well, is the Bible teaching that, that everyone's saved? No. Remember, there's more to salvation than just the initial acceptance of Christ as our Savior. It's not just deliverance from the penalty of sin. It is also the deliverance of the, from the power of sin and one day from the very presence of sin. Theologically, we would say it this way. Justification is when we accept Christ as our Savior and we are declared righteous by God. Then there's sanctification, where you and I grow and become more like Christ. And one day we will be glorified. Glorification, where we literally are in the presence of God in heaven. What he's talking about here is that aspect of our salvation where we are being transformed and changed into Jesus Christ. All through the Bible, it talks about this, this transformation. In 2 Corinthians 3.18, Paul says, We all with unveiled faces beholding the glory of God are changed from one level of glory into another level of glory, even by the Spirit of God. Romans 8.29, For He predestined us to be conformed to the image of Jesus Christ. Philippians 1.6, For I am confident of this very thing, that He who began a good work in you will continue to perform it until the day of Jesus Christ. What is that good work? Well, the good work is being transformed. It is being changed. It is being conformed to the image of Jesus Christ. What does Romans 12.1 and 2 say? I beseech you therefore, brothers, by the mercies of God, that you present your body a living sacrifice, holy, acceptable unto God, which is your reasonable service. Do not be conformed to this world, but be what? Transformed by the renewing of your mind. Grace transforms us. When you and I are living in an environment of grace, grace will change us. It will bring about the necessary changes in our life so that we can become conformed to the image of Jesus Christ, which is the purpose of our salvation, Romans 8, 29. That's how you and I will know grace is reigning in our life. That's how we will know in our church that grace is reigning in our life. Because the grace of God teaches us all about transformation and change and the good work that God wants to do in our life. We could even use Philippians 2.14, work out your own salvation with fear and trembling. It's all about changing and being transformed to be more like Jesus Christ. So grace transforms. Also, another evidence of grace reigning is that grace trains us. Look at verse 12. It trains us to reject godless ways and worldly desires and to live self-controlled, upright, and godly lives in the present age. Now, I want to start actually at the very end. Notice, whatever age you and I are living in, God's grace is sufficient to meet that age's demands. So you and I can't even say if we're living in the last days, oh, it's so hard to be a Christian today, and I just can't keep up with it. And God will say, my grace is sufficient and will train you no matter what age you are living in. 
No matter what time of history you and I are living in, God's grace is sufficient. And the Bible teaches us in James, God gives more grace. And where sin abounds, grace even does much more abound. So if we're living in an age of sin, God says, I'm going to pour out my grace even more. But grace trains. It's a very interesting word. It was actually a word that was used in Paul's day about those that brought up children. Not necessarily parents, but think of it as, as a teacher or even a coach. And I like the uh, idea of a coach. Grace is our spiritual coach. It gets us up every morning. It gets us focused. It puts us through our paces. It puts us through our spiritual exercises. Why? Because it wants to build discipline into our life. That's exactly what he's saying there in verse 12. It trains us. As it puts us through the paces, as it put, gets us in shape spiritually, it trains us to reject godless ways, worldly desires, and to live self-controlled, upright, and godly lives. It keeps us focused. It keeps us energized. It gets us up out of bed every morning with a focus in mind. That's what grace does. When grace is reigning in our lives, it's that coach saying, come on, we got some work still to do. There's still potential there. there. You still haven't reached everything yet. Come on, let's go. Let's get, let's get to exercising. Paul says in 1 Timothy 4, 7, train yourself for godliness. And I've talked to you about this before. It's the Greek word gymnazo, where we get our word gymnasium from. Working out. Grace will, will stir us to work out spiritually. To do our spiritual disciplines. To be consistent. To be faithful. Just like a coach does on a team. When he's trying to get or she's trying to get the most out of her players or his players, they're going to push him a little bit. Beyond maybe even what their limit they think is. Why? Because there's still more in there. And that's what grace will do. That's why grace always takes us usually beyond maybe our comfort zone and beyond what we think we can do. Because God's grace, as it reigns in our life, wants to show us what we can do when we allow God's grace to take over our lives. When we live in that environment of grace. It will not only transform us, it will train us. Then verse 13. Grace tarries. It tarries in the fulfillment of our hope that will come when our God and Savior, Jesus Christ, appears. Notice what he says in verse 13. As we wait for the happy fulfillment of our hope in the glorious appearing of our great God and Savior, Jesus Christ. Part of the problem we have even as Christian human beings is that we somehow look for the fulfillment of our hope in things on this earth. And when we do that, we will become disillusioned and discouraged real quick. Because maybe even some of you, you are still holding out hope that a certain situation will change. Or you're still holding out hope that a person will change. And when we, the reality of it is, and I've got to just tell you that the reality here is that situation may never change. It could, but it may never change. That person may never change. But see, God doesn't tell us, put your hope in that on anything of earth. 
That's not where our fulfillment of our hope is. Now, God does say this. This is what we can, in a sense, have hope for. That even in situations that aren't going to work out the way we want them to work out, God says, I can work all things together for good to those who love me and are called according to my purpose. So what God is saying is, even when things might not change, I'll bring something of benefit, something of profit, something of good out of that. But it might not change. And that's why a grace literally plants us and tarries there until the fulfillment of our hope when Jesus Christ appears and comes back to get us. Let me share another verse that really locks this down in 1 Peter chapter 1. I want you to see this very important principle tonight. Because so many Christians, part of the reason why they're disappointed in life, why they're discouraged in life, why they're disillusioned in life, is they look for the fulfillment of their hope in something earthly, in something connected to this life, in something human or another human being. No. That's not where our grace is going to get us. Our grace is going to say, here, Jeff, I want to plant you and I want you to wait right here for the fulfillment of your hope. Now, know this. God's always working. God will bring good things out of even bad things. But the fulfillment of your hope should not be in anything before this right here, which is when Jesus comes. Notice what Peter says in 1 Peter 1.13. Therefore, get your minds ready for action by being fully sober. And notice these words, set. That means settled once and for all. Get it planted there. Set your hope partially. Is that what it says? No, it says completely. Set your hope completely on the grace that will be brought to you when Jesus Christ is revealed. It doesn't say set our hope mostly. Set our hope. It says set your hope completely on the grace that's coming. Not on what is, but on what will be. That is the fulfillment of our hope. Again, this and, and why I'm, I'm tearing here is because I run into so many Christians that just have not allowed this biblical principle to be absorbed into their being. So that's why they walk around a lot of times hopeless. And they think God is not the God of hope. And that somehow, uh, you know, the, the promises of God and all of these things, that, that I can't count on it. No, yes, you can. But God never tells us to put the fulfillment of our hope in anything on this side of glory. That's why he tells us to lay up treasure in heaven rather than treasure on the earth. That's why he tells us to set our affection on things above, not things on the earth. Over and over again, God says, don't make it about this life. Make it about the life to come. And grace, when grace is reigning in our lives, when grace is allowed to teach us, grace will get us to a place where we tarry until the fulfillment of our hope, which comes only when Jesus Christ comes back and appears. Back to Titus chapter 2. A couple more things. Grace toils. Grace toils. It works. Yeah, you know, like I said, I 
I had to do the alliteration thing. Verse 14, he gave himself, Jesus, for us to set us free from every kind of lawlessness and to purify for himself a people who are truly his. In other words, Jesus did what he did because he wanted to remove all the distractions in our life and get us to lock down on something, living by his grace, so that his grace will transform us, so that his grace will train us, so that his grace will tarry in hope, and so that his grace will lock us into a life of doing good. Notice what he says, who are eager to do good. Literally in the Greek, the word means burning, who are burning to do good. It speaks of zealousness. It speaks of passion. In other words, Paul is saying, when God's grace is reigning in our life, we will literally have a fire inside of us to do good. A burning. That's when we know God's grace is reigning in our life. Because it wants to do that. Think of Ephesians chapter 2. For by grace are you saved through faith, that not of yourselves, it's the gift of God, not of works, lest any man should boast. And then he goes on in verse 10 to say, For we are his workmanship, created in Christ Jesus for what? What's those next two words? Anybody know? Good works. Created in Christ Jesus for good works. We are not saved by good works, but we are saved to good works. We do not believe that our good works get us to heaven or establish a relationship with God. But what we do believe is that when then after salvation, when God's grace is reigning in our lives, when we're living in an environment of grace, there will be this burning desire and zealousness and passion to do good. To work. Remember the verse we shared a couple weeks ago? 1 Corinthians 15, 58. So then, dear brothers and sisters, be firm, do not be moved. Always be outstanding in the work of the Lord, knowing that your labor is not in vain in the Lord. Again, the word means to go above and beyond, exceeding, excelling, to superabound in the work of the Lord. And when God's grace is operating in our life, we will want to work for God and in His kingdom. We will want to do we will want to be good deed doers. There will be that burning inside of us. I want to make my life count for something. I want to make a difference in this world. I don't want to just go through my life and just be buried at the end and not have my life make a difference in other people's lives. And God's grace will energize us toward that end. A couple other things notes here tonight. Then in verse 15 of Titus chapter 2, we see that grace is teachable. Grace will form within us a teachable spirit. Notice he tells Titus, so communicate these things with the sort of exhortation or rebuke that carries full authority. Don't let anyone look down on you. Don't let anyone despise you or anyone disregard you, we could also say. And so what he's saying is, hey, you, you teach these principles. 
And you teach them with the full force and authority that these things are coming from God Himself. You are simply His spokesman. And what He's now saying is, then the reverse of that is, the audience to whom you are speaking to, if God's grace is evident, they will be a teachable people. They will not walk into a church service or to a Bible study or anywhere, or even personally come before the Word of God and say, I know this already. I don't have anything else to learn. I got this. I don't have any more insight or understanding into God or His Word or His plan or with it. No, it'll be just the opposite. See, when God's grace is reigning in our lives, it will build within us this strong desire to want to learn and grow and mature and keep going after more because we're never going to get complacent when God's grace is reigning. We're never going to be satisfied when God's grace is reigning in our lives. We're always going to want to pursue more of God. Isn't that the example of Paul? Paul said, this one thing I do, forgetting those things that are behind, reaching forth to those things that are ahead of me, I press toward the mark for the prize of the high calling of God in Christ Jesus. I'm never going to be satisfied till I see Jesus face to face. I'm always going to go after it. I'm always going to set some spiritual goals. Because God's grace was reigning in Paul's life. And that's why he said in 1 Corinthians 15.10, By the grace of God, I am what I am. So note the very big importance here of this passage. Not only in the book of Titus, but really in the entire New Testament. Because this passage here tonight basically contradicts any and all individuals and churches and religious ministries that are based on legalism, on ritual, on rule, on regulation, rather than grace. Because Paul is saying, if you think that teaching God's grace somehow is going to leave people off the hook, and that somehow they're just going to, you know, not be engaged and not be challenged in any way because somehow you're not laying down the law, Paul says, then you don't understand the grace of God. Because when God's grace is reigning, God's grace is transforming. God's grace is training. God's grace is allowing us to tarry until the fulfillment of our hope. God's grace is going to burn in us that desire to toil and work and labor for the Lord. And God's grace is going to build in us a teachable spirit. Now, I don't want to end tonight without mentioning, though, this very last principle. I want you to turn to the book of Hebrews, chapter 12. And I want us to see, though, the real possibility here. And that is that God's grace is available. Absolutely. But the principle in the Bible also is that even though God's grace is available for all these things, and God wants to pour out His grace in our lives so that we can be transformed and we can be trained and all of these things, that the choice is up to us. That the Bible teaches that God's grace can be rejected by us. Which is why you can take two Christians even who 
can go through very similar circumstances. Say the loss of a loved one. Death. And you can have this Christian over here who is receiving God's grace and accepting it. And yes, they're going through a grieving process. But, but as Paul says to the Thessalonians, they're grieving, but they're not grieving like those who have no hope. It's a healthy grieving. But then you have this other Christian over here who is pushing God's grace away, rejecting it. And all of a sudden, they begin to get a bad attitude. They begin to get very, maybe even angry at God over this death. And maybe even bitter. Similar circumstances. What's the difference in the way it was received? It all has to do with God's grace. God's grace will be there for us in each and every situation of life. That's what the Bible teaches. But God will never force His grace upon us. It is something that has to be chosen. Which is why this verse, in the book of Hebrews, chapter 12, verse 15, is so important. The writer of Hebrews says, See to it that no one comes up, literally you could add the word up, short of the grace of God. That no one be like a bitter root springing up and causing trouble, and through him many become defiled. The words come up short in the Greek language literally means missing out on what is vital and essential in our lives. In other words, the Bible is teaching, I can miss out, even as a believer, on what is vital in my life, which is the grace of God. I I can't live without it. I cannot exist without it. I cannot grow without it. I can't be transformed without it. I can't be trained without it. I'll lose my hope without it. I won't be a servant of the Lord as effectively without it. I won't be a teachable person without it. All of those things. But the choice is up to me. Esau, Esau came short of the grace of God. You'll notice the context. Verse 16, see to it that no one becomes an immoral or godless person like Esau, sold his birthright for a single meal. Not only that, but in the context here, Esau is really, he rejected the grace of God in two ways. First of all, he disregarded the importance of his birthright, so he sold it for a a meal because he was hungry. Thought he was going to starve to die. I'm going to die. Just because he missed a meal. Sounds like me someday. And then the second thing he did is when Jacob stole his blessing, God gave him the grace to deal with it and not become bitter. But guess what Esau did? He got bitter. So bitter and so angry that he wanted to kill his brother. Why? Not because he accepted God's grace, because he pushed it away. You ever know somebody like that? It's almost like you deal with them and and you think, I think they want help. So then you try to help them and then they start pushing you away. Because at the end of of the day, they really don't want to change. They really don't want your help. They would rather stay in the misery they're in and just keep complaining about it than doing anything about it themselves. And so... When God talks to us about his grace, he says, look, as he said to Paul, my grace is sufficient. It can meet any and every need that you and I will ever have in our life. 
Whatever it is, as, as the Bible says, God will always give more grace. And where sin abounds, grace does much more abound. So whatever happens in our life, to us, with us, God will have his grace right there. The only question is, will I receive his grace in order to deal with it in a Christ-like, biblical, God-honoring, God-glorifying way? Or will I push his grace away and deal with it on my own? And become very disillusioned, discouraged, angry, bitter. Choice is up to us. But know this. God wants us to live in an environment of grace. Not rules. Not regulations. Not rituals. It's all about a relationship with Jesus. And it's about depending on His grace every day and living in an environment of grace and creating that environment of grace. Grace doesn't mean I get to live however I want to. Remember, when grace is reigning, grace is training. Grace is going to... great When you want to just sleep in and not come to church on Sunday, grace is going to say, get up, go to church. When you want to just, you know... Forget about your, your time with the Lord and, and not your prayer time and your, and your devotions that day. Grace is going to say, come on, you need, I know, I know, but you need it. That's what grace is going to do. Because grace is going to be that coach that keeps trying to build into us that Christ-likeness. That's what grace does. So I hope tonight, if nothing else, that you and I have gotten a little bit maybe even better understanding or been reminded of what grace really is all about and what grace can accomplish in our life when it rains in our life. Let's pray. God, we thank you for your grace. It is all because of grace. It is all by your grace that we are saved, both from the penalty of sin, from the power of sin, and one day from the very presence of sin. May we not forget the words of the Apostle Paul. By the grace of God, I am what I am. It was only because Paul lived in an environment of grace and allowed your grace to reign in his life every day that he was the Christian that he was. May we realize that we're not going to get there. We're not going to become super spiritual. We're not going to become more like Jesus by having the best set of rules and regulations and rituals by being a legalistic Christian, it's going to be by depending on your grace to do it. What we cannot do for ourselves. So God, help us tonight to not only come to a better understanding of grace, but help us to realize the importance of relying on it each and every day. These things we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. If I could ask for your prayers tomorrow morning at 9.30, I'll be speaking to a group of students here at Basha. I would appreciate your prayers. Thank you very much. We'll see you next week.